Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Good morning. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia back with you here on the show. We got you every day from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. We have plenty to cover here on this show. Some baseball, some football, basketball as well. Everything happening in fantasy and reality. Good morning to you, Joe. What's going on? Good morning, Craig Mish. Here we are. It's a new month, a fresh start. We got birthdays. We got uh, NFL talk. We got MLB stuff. We got a lot going on. It's a busy day. I'm looking forward to this. Plus, we got an amazing guest, Marcus Grant from NFL Network, is going to join us. So it doesn't get much better than this. This is a solid two hours of sports programming we got ahead of you. Yeah, and we got a lot to cover here on this show, and we're going to. And um, you know, certainly we're going to talk about uh, some of the players opting out a couple of days ago. Specifically, Ian Desmond was uh, one of the bigger ones, and we touched on it a little bit yesterday. We'll do it again today. But the big story yesterday from Baseball was the cancellation of the minor league baseball season for the first time since 1901. Mm -hmm. Joe, there will not be a minor league baseball season in 2020. I think that we thought that this would be inevitable. And indeed, the announcement came down yesterday officially. And, uh, you know, certainly this is just, a, a you know, the minor leagues are a victim of circumstance this year. I don't think anybody wanted to see this canceled. But, I mean, we're basically having trouble getting a Major League Baseball season going. Something was going to have to take uh, the sword, and in this case, it's MILB. Yeah, and this is a foregone conclusion, so nobody should be surprised by this. But at the same time, make no mistake, this is the beginning of Major League Baseball kind of gutting the minor league system a little bit. And maybe there are some redundancies. Maybe there's some opportunity here where you can look at minor league baseball and say, yeah, you know, there's – uh, maybe not a need for a, a rookie ball and a low A and a regular A and a high A ball. Like it, it may be a point where they don't need to have all of that development at some point because instruction has gotten so much better at the younger levels and the high school levels and the college levels as well. And when you start trimming back the draft and you have less players coming in, that's also a signal of, hey, we're going to be running less leagues and less teams. And it, I think it was inevitable as well. And I think it does make sense to a certain extent. I hope it doesn't gut it completely because you don't want these towns to go under where minor league baseball is a big thing. Not just like the entertainment, but also a place where people kind of, you know, are working part-time jobs and side jobs in the summertime. And I, and I think, you know, that loss of revenue to those towns is going to, to suck, uh, you know, to be frank. That's not going to yeah. be something everybody wants. But this was certainly not a surprise, I think, the cancellation of the season. And hopefully some form of independent ball can be played. Minor leaguers could certainly, um, you know, play that. And I think that we're hoping for that. We're also hoping, I think, that with the condensed amount of minor league baseball teams, that the, the players that are in the minors will get better taken care of. Maybe if mm -hmm. there is some sort of light at the end of the tunnel with less players Maybe. Maybe they'll be able to pay them more or you know take care of them in, in some way more. And I know that it definitely hurts. And I know that a lot of Major League Baseball teams are also hoping that uh, they can bring their kids into their camps, wherever they may be, whether it's major or minor league, while the Major League season is going on for the 60 days so they can end up working them out and doing you know something with them too. So hopefully that's the case. Uh, you know, just kind of rehashing a little bit about you know, some of the players who have opted out, we discussed it on yesterday's show, but it's worth mentioning again, you know, sort of the news that uh, Ian Desmond uh, on Instagram ended up announcing that he's not going to be playing uh, the 2020 baseball season. Uh, the Rockies basically went out and uh, and signed Matt Kemp to replace him on the field. Whether or not Kemp makes the team is anybody's guess at this point. I'm not even sure why they uh, went that route, to be honest. Uh, but as far as what Desmond is standing for at this point is really interesting because um, what he said on Instagram really hit me for a bit because I lived in Sarasota for three years and talking about some of those baseball fields, too. And, and the West Coast of Florida is a really big hotbed for mm -hmm. baseball as well. Uh, but aside from that, talking about some of the things, the culture of the clubhouse and some of the racism going on there and uh, and mention the word cheating, too. And look. Coming from a player like Ian Desmond, who's a high-level player, high-character player as well, mm -hmm. I'm hoping that we can start to, you know, sort of look a little bit deeper into this because he didn't have to say all this. He chose to. Yeah, and look, there's no denying, too, that baseball went from having a 48% African-American player rate to almost 8% 
over the last decade or so. That, that's a that's a big drop off. Uh, and he goes on to make an amazing point, which is something I've been trying to get at as well. It's like you can have these RBI programs in the inner cities and that's great. But, you know, it's also just the regular baseball where now so much of baseball for youth is travel baseball and basically paid to play baseball. And people are making a lot of money and overusing and taxing these kids. And basically the system is if you can afford to get in these leagues, then you can afford to get seen earlier. You could afford to possibly get to a point where maybe scouts are more interested in you when you turn the page into your high school years. And basically it's a rigged system. <laughs> like there's no way around it. It it basically is. So if you can't afford to pay to play, then you are definitely behind the other groups. Now, of course, you can go out there and be awesome, but it's hard to compete necessarily, even if you have similar talent sure. when somebody's getting a lot more reps and a lot more at-bats and a lot more opportunity to be seen and to play the game. And I think that's something that I, you know, I grew up as a little kid. You know what I mean? Me my too. my family is from Williamsport. My, my grandmother's family, I went to that camp, I worked at that camp, I coached on that field, I played on that field. And, you know, what you've seen of, you know, people moving away from little leagues as opposed to travel ball becoming king, it's a huge difference. And I think what you're seeing is this first generation of players, and it's a different kind of generation. It's a different looking player, too. And, and I think that there's positives and negatives because we're burning kids out. We're also creating a structure of a system where it's harder for kids from other economic backgrounds to get interested even in major league baseball. And I think that is a bigger long-term problem. And I think he's very astutely pointing it out here, Craig. Yeah, no, I do too. And I'm hoping that a deeper look is looked into this because again, this is a, a longtime veteran of major league baseball and somebody mm -hmm. that when he talks, you need to pay attention to him for sure. Uh, the Mets, there's some news on the Mets. Uh, Tim Tebow, not quite done yet, Joe, maybe still a shot for him to make the player pool for the New York Mets in 2020. I'm rooting for that. I know you're the second person in the last 24 hours to ask me or talk to me about Tim Tebow. So congratulations. Like, you know, it's like, really, why does everybody have, to... have such a hard time with this? I don't, understand. I don't have a hard time with this because I don't like sideshows. I go on the Mets to be good. Like, I don't like, I don't know if Tim Tebow makes them good. Do you think Tim Tebow makes the Mets good? Do you? I think, I think that he's, he's a good influence and can help players around him. Okay. Is he going to help us win games? Probably not. I know Brett's in my ear telling me we're never going to be good. Get over it. But no, I don't want to get over it. I want to look forward to something, for God's sakes. Like, this is, <laughs> you know, like. See, I'm, I'm on the opposite side. I'm I'm always on the side of pro Tebow. And, and look, I'm not saying the guy ever well, has. Of course you are. You went to Florida and you're from there. And he's right. an icon. I know the guy's character. And I think that while he may not be able to help, you know, the team win, I think that he still can be a positive influence inside the clubhouse. I mean, the Marlins. You know, back-to-back -back years, signed two players from the military. I don't know that they'll ever play in the big leagues, but they like the culture. They like the idea that, uh, that that you know, the work ethic of the players can help and rub off on other players, too. And and sometimes Tim Tebow can take away attention from other players at the time, you know? Like, I, I don't know. I, I The only thing that would bother me is, is as, uh, you know, the former minor leaguer said, I don't know if it was Ryan Church or somebody. I don't remember who it was. I mean, now, great, I'm throwing Ryan Church under the bus. Uh, but I think that there was some player that said that he's potentially taking a spot away from somebody else that is deserving. And look, you know, there's a part of that that's probably true. But, you know, in the end, if he helps that player, if he helps the team from a conceptual point of view inside the clubhouse more than somebody else, then I, I think I'm still OK with that. I don't want conceptual. I want actual. Uh, here's the career batting average uh, oh, and stats for Tim Darn. Tebow. You ready? Here we go. He's played 287 minor league games. He has 18 home runs over those uh, 300 games. Uh, he's hitting, uh, let's see, 223 with an on-base percentage of 338 and an OPS of 638. He is not a major league player. He does not belong on a major league roster. I don't care if he's a good influence and, and a, and a high-quality person. Barack Obama is, too. I don't need him playing second base. Like, I, I want people who can play. I don't need high-caliber people on the Mets. I need winning people on the Mets. I had horrible character people in 86, and we won 108 games that year. I don't care. Like, I need, I need some winning What about Michael baseball. Jordan? Oh, goodness gracious. Look, I, what I'm saying is this. Like, the Tebow thing I get during spring training because he puts butts in the seats in Florida and people show up for his autograph. I totally get that. But this is a whole other story where we want to bring Tim Tebow north, okay? I can tell you, nobody in Brooklyn or Queens really cares too much about Tim Tebow. I know where you are, totally different environment. Tim Tebow could run for mayor tomorrow, and he's going to be elected. I, I get it.
I know exactly. There you go. There you go. You're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna be running the campaign. But I mean, come on, man. Like, stop it. Like, and and you know what? More to the point, there is something to that thing. He is taking away a spot. It's one thing you do it for a year or two. Like he's done this for four or five years now. Like enough is enough. Stop. He's got another career. He's a good broadcaster. He's good in the booth. He's good on the on the desk. Like he does a good job on there. Like, and I agree with you. Yes, presence is great. That's why you have guys like Russell Wilson comes and works out and takes ground balls sometimes. He's a fantastic dude. He's a great leader. He is somebody you can absolutely rub off on other professional athletes. That's fantastic. However, Russell Wilson is not the opening day shortstop. And Tim Tebow should not be on any roster either. I, I think uh, we just we have a difference of opinion on what's Tim the here. You know, six thirty-eight. Six thirty-eight OPS. That's the only it's not the an numbers opinion. Numbers are irrelevant. <laughs> I have no argument, so I gotta have something. The numbers are uh, irrelevant, says Craig Mitch. Can we get that on tape? Interesting also for those of you in uh, fantasy this year. Now look, we're you know, this is at least the initial report. Uh, and this is coming from the general manager of the New York Yankees, Brian Cashman. And I found this to be true when I tried to press the Marlins on it, too, is that essentially the way that the COVID list in Major League B Baseball is going to work this year is that you're not going to know if a player is hurt or if he actually has COVID. Now, I can't see this lasting over the 60 days without people. Why? I, I, I guess it's for HIPAA rules or something. I'm not really sure, but apparently that's the deal where a guy goes on some sort of injured list and you have to guess. As so we're or not, not going to know, like, so, so we're not going to know if it's a hamstring or that. Let me tell you, from a season long baseball perspective, then I wouldn't play any season long leagues like that is that is madness. I don't know if a guy's got a torn hamstring or if he's just got COVID for two weeks and he's asymptomatic. Like, I need to know these things. This is important. What? How do they get away with that? I'm, I'm not sure, but that's what he said. And listen, when when I tried to press uh, my kill for the Marlins, he gave me absolutely nothing. So. Um, and, and basically all I asked him was, is the player on the 60 man? And he wouldn't even tell me. So, you know, I wow. mean, like, cause I would, I mean, that would be good information too. I, I mean, I probably could find out the name if I really wanted to, I haven't even tried, but from a fantasy perspective, that would certainly help because you would know that there's a chance you may not see that player, but, or, um, or maybe there's a series, like, what about the flip side? Like, so if somebody goes on the DL for something that like, what if they go on the DL with a, uh, I don't know, a broken collarbone, are we going to know that? Or everything I, is I think so. I'm not sure. Or is everything a broken collarbone now? And like, <laughs> we're gonna have to sort it out for you. Unfortunately, Ugh. we don't have enough time on this show today, but we'll continue to do it for you. Um, we're gonna take a brief time out. When we come back next, it's time for this day in fantasy sports history and our fantasy sports birthdays. This is fantasy sports today here on Sports Grid. Craig Mish, Joe Pizapia. You can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Pizapia17. You can follow me on Twitter at Craig Mish. And when we come back, we'll dive into that subject next on this first day of July, 2020. So make sure you stay tuned and don't go away. We're back right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. It's Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mitch, Joe Pizapia. It is time for this day in fantasy sports and our fantasy sports birthdays. It's July the 1st. Joe, it's a new month of birthdays, a new month of fun, a new month of this day in fantasy sports history. Ready to roll? Yeah, it's a new month. I mean, let's have a fresh start here. Let's keep going. I want to see how long we can keep doing these birthdays and days in fantasy sports before Craig's hair falls out naturally before the haircut. Yeah, fair enough. One week away from that, maybe even less than that. This day in uh, in Craig's hair history, we'll do that. <laughs> All right, uh, here we go. For July the 1st, we are not going that far back in history today. There were some interesting things, but I you know, went a little bit off the grid today. Uh, 1987, WFAN-AM in New York City. First day, they launched a 24-hour sports broadcasting radio station and joe i would say that this was a pretty big transcendent moment for sports we always had sports talk we had sports shows but we didn't have a 24-hour sports talk uh network and essentially uh, new york was the first one to to do it and uh, wfan to this day is probably the most iconic sports station in history 
Yeah, very important in my world, too, because uh, I had to uh, do my homework before I could go play outside. And I was allowed to listen to the radio. And my choice was we had moved in 1987 in the fall of 87 to New Jersey. And my choice was to listen to the sports radio channel because I thought it was cool. And listening to Mike and the Mad Dog argue back and forth. And it was kind of different at the time, believe it or not. It was very unique at the time, and uh, I remember listening to that station better part of my entire life, basically, uh, and I could tell you that if it wasn't for that, I don't think I would be here. You kind of absorb and you learn a lot about the theater that is sports broadcasting sometimes and the talk show of sports, and there was a bit of theater in it and conversation and all of that, and I think it couldn't help but seep into me all of those years, so that show in particular and that channel in particular, not just because it had the Met games, but all the sports talk shows on there. It was huge for me. I mean, it was something that really kind of changed my world and my life. And I was somebody who listened every single day when I moved to Philadelphia for school, for college, I could still get FAN. The signal was still strong enough before internet radio was a thing. I could still listen and continue with New York sports. And uh, it was a huge thing. So I was very glad to see this on there today. Craig, do you have any FAN relations or, or moments for you or not? so much because you're a Miami guy. Yeah, I mean, not in particular. I was aware of it, uh, but, you know, I was more focused probably when I was growing up on my local uh, terrestrial stations here in South Florida. And I did work for at least three uh, terrestrial radio stations in South Florida. I worked for uh, 560 WQAM. I worked for uh, 790 The Ticket, which were the two... Uh, competing stations back and forth for many years. And then I worked for uh, 940 WINZ AM. Um, actually, I worked for another station that was very short-lived. Uh, it was called 1700 The Fan. You can imagine the dial up there, it wasn't going to last very long. <laughs> some car, You couldn't even get it in some cars. Um, but, and so it, it, to me, it's, you know, this, it's really interesting to bring this up because that that's the one element that I'm sad about that I, no matter what they say about terrestrial radio at this point, and I know that there are some staunch defenders of terrestrial radio. And I do think that in your local market where there is a lot of passion sure. and, and that's it basically, but in the, in your local market where there is a lot of passion, AM radio can live. Um, but uh, that's been a big change, Joe. Like we yeah. just, you know, everywhere in the country, uh, you know, terrestrial AM radio stations, it, it's it's not as, you know, you have a phone and you have an internet. Yeah. And oh, you it's have, totally you know. different. And, and, and you know, if it not for the success of FAN and more specifically Mike and the Mad Dog show, I don't think shows like ours right here exist. I, I'll be I, honest. I would agree. I mean, I it's, agree. It, it's crazy, but you can really pinpoint to them. And to think that every day they would do a five and a half hour show. That's crazy. I mean, could you imagine every day, five and a half hours, taking calls and doing this stuff sometimes about the same topics? Like, you know, you're sick of me after two hours, five hours every day. How could you possibly go on? It's crazy. Yeah. No. And, and you know, and look, there was a great shelf run for for stations like this. Sure. Um, you know, you're talking about, you know, 30 years, essentially. Uh, but I chose, uh, you know, a few years ago, probably five, six years ago, I was like, I, I just think this has come to an end for me. Like, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just... It just felt it felt monotonous, and yeah. it, it you know it, the callers are are you know I don't I don't I don't want to say that they're not as intelligent anymore, but like a lot of the caller driven shows are just not good anymore. They're not interesting, and so you right. have to be the one to put on the show. And I've always enjoyed that a lot more. And I and I and I kind of felt like they were they were dinosaurs, to be honest with you. At least mm-hmm. here in South Florida, I kind of felt. No, like, I, I kind of agree. I I think it had their moment, and now it's evolved into this. And this that's, is what the exactly moment is right. now. And, yeah. and hopefully we'll spurn on the next great generation of sports broadcasters. Mission Pizapia. You can count on it. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. But, but I do want to be clear. You're in a, a city like Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. Oh, absolutely. A baseball team or a football team. You want to call in and vent about your team after a game. You That that will survive in 15 markets in the country. It's just mm-hmm. it's not surviving in 50 like it used right. to. All right. Uh, 1990. Uh, Joe's talked about this a thousand times. So we finally get to talk <laughs> about it today here on the show that it actually happened. Andy Hawkins throws a no hitter and loses uh, for the Chicago White Sox. Arguably the most bizarre no hitter of all time. There's been a lot of them. There's been A.J. Burnett's where he walked a million people. Mm-hmm. There's been combined no hitters. But and, and there's been games that have gone into extra innings, but a four nothing loss, not normal. 
for another. Not normal, no. And I've talked about it a thousand times. I've talked about it twice. But uh, if you want to hear more about those, you can go back and listen on demand. I'm not going to put you through it again, but it's certainly one of the wackiest, if not the saddest no hitters, because pitchers don't get this opportunity where everything breaks right for them and they can get a no hitter and to come out with an L. I can't imagine what a weird feeling. Like, do you think he was even happy at all? Like he was just probably miserable, right? Because you didn't have that moment to celebrate. Yeah, probably not. Like, you have a thing where, like, it's a no-hitter, and he jumps up in the arms, and he's the catcher's running around, and everyone's really excited. No. Andy Hawkins is sitting there answering why it's a loss at the end of the day in the clubhouse. That's brutal, man. Brutal. Yeah. All right, we we build you up and we tear you down. So one day <laughs> after Mike Tyson's birthday, we're just, you know, going to talk about him getting suspended indefinitely for uh, biting Evander Holyfield. His fight was on the 28th of June, 1997. They did not take long. Two days later... Uh, they suspended him. They also held back the money that they paid him, and he didn't end up getting paid in full, if I'm not mistaken, for that fight as well, for everything that he did there. Uh, Tyson did not fare well against Evander. Uh, 2011. Uh, this is interesting. D. Gordon stole second base, third base, and home plate consecutively on this date in July 1st, uh, 2011, and he was the 40th player in Major League Baseball to do that. So, you know, I thought I'd give a nice little shout-out to D. Gordon today. Didn't didn't expect to see that and didn't realize that it happened. So, there you go. Yeah, and, and one of the more unlikely guys to get popped for PEDs. And and I often wonder that. Like, this was a guy who was very small frame. You would look at him and go, what? He's on PEDs. But, again, some guys have trouble putting on weight and staying the course through an entire season. 162 games is a marathon. It is a grind especially on a guy with a smaller frame. And I think that it should give everybody pause out there who wants to automatically pinpoint guys in the 90s or the 2000s who were or weren't based on their physiques and some of the things that might be going on because I think D. Gordon basically debunks that. Yeah. All right, so here, uh, one more. I'm sorry. LeBron James, uh, 2018, two years ago, he signs a four-year deal with the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, we've, you know, this is you know, 2019, 2020. We're actually the first two years. It feels like in a decade that we didn't have some sort of decision from LeBron James. Uh, in this particular case, he uh, ends up with Cleveland on a sour note, even though he wins a championship in 2016, if I'm not mistaken, or 17. Uh, but anyway, he leaves, uh, he leaves uh, Cleveland again, and this time goes to the Lakers. And hopefully if the NBA does indeed have a season, as we've discussed many times here on the show. Joe, if they're not the favorite to win it all, mm -hmm. they are right there. And uh, any game LeBron James is in is going to be great TV and great theater, that's for sure. Yeah, the LeBron decision is still my second favorite one to the Craig Mish decision to come to SportsGrid. I oh, thought that show was very, yeah, was very great. entertaining. I remember it was you and Jim Gray. Uh, there was a lot of drama. That's it was true. your high school gym, by the way. A lot of people don't realize very that. Very true, yes. Uh, and uh, there was debate about where Craig Mish was going to go, and eventually true. he did sign here. And I don't know if that makes me Chris Bosh or, or Dwayne Wade. or I don't know what it makes me. Probably nothing. Probably just some... Uh, six man on the team or something like that. But that was definitely my favorite. It of was the big decision special. So it was huge. I'll, I'll never forget it. We did it on MySpace. It was like it <laughs> was huge. seismic. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was we, we tried an MySpace. AOL chat room, but they were all, you know, they were all, uh, <laughs> was Lenny Melnick running that chat room. I'm just curious. I'm pretty yeah, sure. He yeah, he was, you know, he actually got out of a chair and, and uh, <laughs> All right, this day in fantasy sports birthdays, July the 1st, we've got Nancy Lieberman, uh, one of the greatest women's basketball players of all time. She is in the Naismith uh, Hall of Fame. 1961, great Olympian uh, Carl Lewis, uh, not a great singer, but a great Olympian. 1977, Jerome McGinley, member of the 2020 class of the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame. Yes, right? yes. I mentioned yes, that. Yes, indeed. Uh, 1986, we have Charlie Blackman of the Colorado Rockies. And then 1991, we have Michael Waka, who I can now, looks like officially say, a member of the New York Mets. Pitched with a different team for the first time in a decade. Waka signed with the Mets this offseason. Any thoughts on any of these gentlemen or women? Well, it's, it's a good thing that the Mets signed Waka because they lost Syndergaard just a few months later. So it turned out you can never have enough starting pitching in the major leagues. I think we always learn that the hard way. Charlie Blackman's an interesting one this year because this is a guy getting up in age but can help a lot of teams. This is a guy that could help the Padres. This is a guy that could help the Rangers. This is a dude you could put there in an order and really lengthen it. And he's probably versatile. You could probably hit one, two, three. You could even hit four or five if you needed him to. And I, I understand the you all know, splits in Colorado are splits and yada, yada. But I would say Charlie Blackman's still a very good player. I think he's got something left in the tank. 
But it seems like Colorado should be looking to sort of start to move on and jettison and turn the page here, especially if they're going to move Arenado soon, too. So I'd be curious if Blackman is one of the few pieces that might actually get moved this year, too. Well, look, I mean, the, the Rockies are, are going young. They uh, signed Matt Kemp yesterday. You know, <laughs> Matt Kemp's 19. He's ready to go for a season in the big leagues. I mean, uh, I, I mean, we were just like two days ago talking about that. Well, it's the you know, end of a career for Matt Kemp. And then there he is two days later signing with the Rockies. It's crazy, right? That's uh, that's baseball. Yeah, and, it, you, and it's right? kind of typical of what the Rockies do, to be honest. It's like just when you think that you got an opportunity to see some of these young kids they like bring in somebody to block them or, you know, it's like, Hey, yeah, look. where's Carlos Gonzalez? Brett's right. Where's cargo? Is he going to go yeah, back next? I, I mean, I mean, look, we, we, uh, we talked about Ian Desmond and certainly, um, you know, that would have been a player that would have been a designated hitter, but you know, they have Garrett Hampson and Ryan McMahon and some other players that you would have thought and Brendan Rogers, but nope, Matt Kemp, that's uh that's the direction they want to go. And, <laughs> and, and again, not an indictment on the Marlins, but just in general, if, if a team signs you, and then you're in spring training all of February, all of March, and then you can't even make the 60 man. No offense to Matt Kemp. I mean, come on. I mean, like, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what to say. Okay, so uh, on that note, we'll take a quick timeout. It's time for us to dive into a couple of MLB win totals, and we're going to go to the north side and the south side, cover the Chicago Cubs, Chicago White Sox. That's next on Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. This is Sports Grid. Get on the grid. Welcome back. Craig and Joe here with you as we get closer to the 2020 Major League Baseball season. Time to dive into the FanDuel Sportsbook because they have a lot of new propositions up, including the 2020 win totals. So head on over to FanDuel and you can get your fix in for those of you who can bet legally. And even if you're not betting, hey, you know what? It's pretty cool to be able to see all the lines and tell you sort of what FanDuel sees in the 2020 baseball season. And uh, Joe, we're going to uh, tackle two more teams today in baseball, uh, but just to give people a heads up, you can go back and watch some of the other win totals that we've done for, for other Major League Baseball teams. And unfortunately, uh, as we start, it's like an unfortunately and a fortunately. Unfortunately, all of the win totals are about the same this year. There, there really mm -hmm. isn't a lot of deviation. A lot of the teams are like high 20s, early 30s, because there's only 60 games. Uh, that's unfortunately. But fortunately, it gives us the opportunity to, for us to be able to give a little bit of a team preview and talk about what we think about the clubs in 2020. Yeah, and also search for outliers because I think that's what's going to happen too. Since everybody's kind of around the same, there's an opportunity here with a small number of teams to be aggressive potentially. And we'll let you know which ones we're going to be aggressive on and which ones we're not because, well, <laughs> the, the FanDuel Sportsbook is telling us that a lot of these are going to be the same for a reason because it might be harder to differentiate over a 60-game season as opposed to differentiating yourself over 162. So we're going to dive in here to the Chicago teams. And uh, I think the Cubs are certainly one that you could look at as going either way. Yeah, we'll start off with the Cubs. Uh, their totals 31 and a half, minus 110, both sides over or under. And uh, and look, the Cubs had a tremendous run of winning a lot. 15, 16, 17, 18, uh, getting all of these young prospects, redeveloping that organization. Theo Epstein did an and Jed Hoyer, they did an mm -hmm. unbelievable job rebuilding uh, a team that hadn't won in 100 years. Right. And ended up winning a World Series. And honestly, I, you know, I mean, it's like they get mulligans for a while, I think. It's like when you win the World Series, you do. But for the first time, the Cubs in the offseason said, all right, enough is enough. We haven't won since 2016. It's been three years. Maybe it's time to change the manager. So that's sort of the first step when you, mm -hmm. when you kind of take that step back. So out is Joe Madden. In is David Ross. Have there been other really significant changes, positive or negative, for the Cubs? Well, not really. 
they're sort of hoping that Rizzo has another good year. Bryant takes a step forward and gets closer to his free agency. Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras. They still have a really good team that's put together, but yeah. the pitching is a little bit on the light side, Joe. Uh, they they signed Craig Kimbrell. I don't know what in the world happened to him. Maybe it's just the end of the line for him. I'm not sure. But uh, the one team I would say in 2020 that has the best shot of a superstar designated hitter would be the Cubs. They got two really strong players now that can fit in the everyday lineup in Kyle Schwarber and Ian Happ. And even if just one of those guys Mm -hmm. ends up emerging for them this season, that is going to lengthen their lineup quite a bit. So um, Cubs seem like a 500 team this year. It's uh, it's it's a little bit, you know, certainly dicey to think of mm-hmm. what the Pirates will be and, and the Brewers will be and the Cardinals will be. And that's sort of a division that's been punching themselves in the face the last couple of years and finishing <laughs> around 500 against each other. So um, not much domination there. If I had a lean on the Cubs, I still think they're slightly above 500, but I am not taking my money and putting it on that. No, me neither. I, I think I'm going to look at this and I agree with you. They are going to score runs. There's no doubt about that. Uh, And they built things the right way there. I think they kind of created that new model, which is, hey, you should build around young position players, not young pitching, because young position players play every day and have a far less risk of getting hurt. And they're, you know, in a better situation to then go out and spend money on proven pitching. And it was a big deal to spend money at one point in time on Lester. And then a few years ago, they spent it on Hugh Darvish, who was absolutely brilliant. Let's not lose that in the shuffle last year. In the second half last year, 114 strikeouts, just seven walks, seven. No, I'm not making that up. Go back and look at the splits. It is staggering how good he was in the run he was on. Now, if Hugh Darvish is going to be that guy, then the Cubs could very well be over 500 because I think Kyle Hendricks is good enough. I don't think there's anything left in the Lester tank, but as far as Kimbrell goes, I think he was more of a unfortunate circumstance of the preparation being completely off. Uh, you know, I remember but this is the second him, time for him with this. Well, no, but I, I, I don't know, man. I mean, it could very well be that we're in there, but I remember talking to your good friend, uh, Brad Ziegler about this. And he said, even relievers who don't have a normal spring training path and all of this stuff, he said, it's very difficult to kind of get back on track. So, Unfortunately, he's not going to have the same thing this year. So there's a little bit of worry and reason for concern there. Yeah. I do love the lineup, though. So from a fantasy perspective, they're going to score runs. It's just a matter of how many they're going to give up. I'm with you. I think they're about 500, so I'm going to pass. But I love Kyle Schwarber moving into DH because that really takes a huge burden off the off the Cubs because that's a guy that they think was, oh, man, this guy's going to probably be more of a DH than anything else. Now a DH in the National League, forget it. This wholly changes their long-term outlook on a guy like Kyle Schwarber. So this DH effect going forward in the National League is really going to have some monumental impact on organizations like the Cubs who might have players come through their system that they might not have a position for, but all of a sudden, oh, wait, look, now we can play this whole game where we move into DH and we can sign them to long-term deals and keep them healthier too. So there's a lot to take in with this DH both in the short term and the long term. Yeah, and I'll also say that um, when the odds get posted for the NL Rookie of the Year, definitely uh, interested in the odds on Nico Horner. I think it's a major sleeper for Rookie of the Year in the NL. The Cubs are big fans of this kid. I think he may end up starting the season with them. I think he may end up playing every single day. And he'll have some competition, but the odds will be really good on him going into well, the year. Well, Kipnis is the only competition he's got right now. Who is it? I'm sorry? Jason Kipnis is oh, yeah. right now. So. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> is that really? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just giving you the name. Yeah, so I, don't I mean, kill look, the messenger. I, I, think he, I think he's got an opportunity to play, and I know what the Cub, I know how the Cubs feel about him. So oh, I'm sure. Really, it's, it's a name that will not be a 2-to-1 or a 5-to-1 or even a 10 that may be worth a, a dart throw there uh, for the 2020 season. All right, uh, so from the Cubs to the White Sox we go, and uh, same number. Wow, who would have thought that a couple of years ago? And, in fact, the juice is a little bit stronger on the over here, 31.5 minus 116. The under is uh, at minus 106. Uh, look, the White Sox are very close to uh, being a, a very competitive team. How much better will they be than this 31.5? I think that is the question because you know that they're going to be – coming close to this number. Um, what is, you know, painting, you know, scenarios for the over? Certainly, if they're close, you would think that they would make a move or two to try and, you know, build on the good feelings that they have had. On the flip side, maybe they would just say, you know what, let's just go for it the following year because you know that they will. 
Robert is now on a long-term deal. Mancata, Eloy Jimenez, the mm-hmm. offense is there. Giolito was a great pitcher last year. Kopech is coming. And they have about as solid uh, guy leading off that rotation as any pitcher in baseball. Dallas Keuchel never gets hurt. The guy throws 200 innings every single mm-hmm. year. Um, so it, it's pretty much solid for them around the board. But are they there yet? Is it? Are they? Is this a year too early? This was sort of going to be the year I figured they'd be around 500, and then 2021 would be the season that they would take off. That's kind of the way um, you know I, I, I felt about the White Sox. So um, another slight lean maybe toward an over here for me, but no certainty of going 40 and 20 or anything like that. I couldn't say that. Well, I got to tell you, man, I don't know about 40 and 20, but I think this is a team that has a real shot for the over here. Uh, And because this is the kind of team that can get hot, especially offensively, this lineup does not quit. Anderson, Moncada, Abreu, then you've got Encarnacion, you've got Eloy, you've got Grandal. I mean, it goes on. I mean, it does not quit, period. And if they do bring up Madrigal, you know, he's probably not, you know, the biggest home run hitter in the world, but he's another guy that's got a good glove and makes a lot of contact and has some speed. He could hit in that nine spot and turn the lineup over. But it's just, it's staggering how good this lineup is and bringing an Encarnacion into the middle of it with Abreu now to protect the young guys, too. They are very athletic. They're going to steal bases. They're going to be a problem for a lot of other teams. And the X factor is Kopech because this is a guy going into this year. Everybody was kind of like, well, we'll see what happens. Maybe second half of the year we get. So, well, guess what? This is the second half of the year. It's now. Second half of the year, the whole year, the first half, the second half. It's all like a couple weeks. So if Kopech comes in and has any sort of impact positively on this rotation, that's the kind of electric arm that really can just – send shockwaves through an organization and and through a division. And I think they have a, a shot of the over, too, because when you're playing so heavy just in this division, right, the Tigers are not very good. Right. Uh, the Royals are not very good. Right. So they're going to get a lot of gimme games, I think, potentially. Uh, and I think they can compete with Cleveland. I think they can compete at the top of this division, too. Minnesota's tough. There's no doubt about that. But, like, I'm, I'm looking at the White Sox, man, and I'm telling you, I think this is a team that – it would not shock me to see them in the playoffs for sure, but it would not shock me to see them go on a run because you and I both know sometimes you get that lightning in a bottle guy and Kopech's that kind of arm. You pair him with a Giolito, all of a sudden you've got something incredible and all of a sudden when a team thinks they're going to go out and win because they got a guy throwing 98 miles an hour nobody can touch, it changes the whole dynamic. It changes the confidence level of the guys on the field and it does have a ripple effect. You know, baseball's numbers – but it's emotion too, and I think we forget that sometimes. And I think that's the kind of player that could really spin this season on a positive note for the White Sox. I'm I don't want to say confident, but I'm optimistic that this team can go over right now. And I'm most excited about watching the White Sox and the Padres play baseball this year. You know, I, I said this <laughs> last year on uh, on a couple of the fantasy baseball shows that I did. I feel like for the last decade, the White Sox are the team that I've talked about the least in fantasy. I can see that. Yeah, they haven't had a lot to talk about besides Abreu. They haven't, you know? Just Abreu. And the pitching side's been rough. And you're right, adding Keuchel is an X factor they haven't had a guy yeah, who— don't, don't look at Keuchel as being the ace. Look at no, him as but he's like, taking it every fifth day. Right, that's huge and, for a young and, rotation. And on top of it, what makes him so dangerous is that they're going to put Giolito second. They're probably going to have Lopez fifth. And he is sandwiched in against two guys who could throw 100 or 99, and then Keiko throws the sinker and gets like a million ground balls. Like this guy's just a ground ball machine. They're uh, tough in a short series if they get into a playoff. He, I'm telling you, <laughs> not sleep on. I, I don't listen. Keiko, no, is, is, but, he's Gold Glover. He wins it every year. He, um, you know, signed late last year. He's a throwback pitcher. He's the a fact pitcher. that he is not mentioned is You're a right. disgrace. That he's a really good pitcher. That is the perfect guy you know, to front any young rotation. He really, he really is. I'm a fan of him. So, um, you know, hopefully that works out for him and it works out for the White Sox. But again, happy to be talking about the White Sox a little in 2020. Um, Marcus Graham from the NFL Network is going to join us coming up a little bit later in the show. So you want to stay tuned to that. But Joe and I will be back with a lot more as we roll on here on Fantasy Sports today. Also, don't forget to head on over to our website. It is sportsgrid.com, sportsgrid.com. Tells you the schedule and all of the programming that we have, including all of our videos, the YouTube on demand uh, aspects of it. And Sports Grid Radio is also a new venture for us. We've converted over from FNTSY Radio to Sports Grid Radio. Scott Wetzel's new show, Gabe Morency, and of course, the great Scott Farrell. We'll be back on FST. Joe Pizapia, Craig Mitch. Don't go away. 
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. It's Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia as we got you here until 1 o'clock on the East. Marcus Grant, the very great Marcus Grant, is going to join us uh, from NFL.com and the NFL Network. That will be at the top of our next hour of the show. If it's on YouTube, it's uh, the playlist. It's our next show. So just stay tuned to that. Boy, this Cam Newton story, not just because it's the only story in the NFL right now, it is really uh, you know picked up a lot of steam, a lot of discussion uh, on exactly what Newton may be in 2020, how good he may be, what it means for the Patriots, their win total. It's really sparked some interesting discussion. But the other part of this, Joe, is that he puts himself smack right into that conversation uh, for comeback player of the year. You know, some quarterbacks like Jameis Winston, they're going to be taking a back seat. They're not going to be playing, uh, or at least we don't think that they're going to be playing all mm-hmm. that much. But Newton puts himself into that conversation and certainly – um, there's a lot of candidates for this, possibly, and and I would think that Newton is uh, you know got a good shot to win this thing if he has a good year. Of course, uh, yeah, I was gonna say he might have the best shot when all is said and done. I mean, he's found himself on a team with an outstanding defense, and he's found himself in a situation where you know people want to talk about the weapons that the Patriots have or don't have, but you know what? It wasn't like he was playing with the greatest weapons ever. He had one year with CMC. Uh, like outside of that, it's like, all right. I mean, it wasn't exactly, I mean, Steve Smith for a short period of time in his yeah, career, that's he had that towards the end, but that was towards the end of Steve Smith's career. I'm just saying like, you know, Cam Newton has never had DeAndre Hopkins or Julio Jones or any of that guy. He's not going to have that in New England either. And I think when you're looking at it, he's an opportunity with a good defense in a soft division where if he plays to Cam Newton ability, you might even call him the favorite for this award. Like I'm fascinated to see when FanDuel comes out with the odds for comeback player of the year. You know, they, they had do. it. They actually had it. And but now they're going to have to change it. Now the cam's there, right? I don't think they've down. made that adjustment. That's yeah, right. I was going to say. I'm looking at, that's what I'm actually looking at. Because I knew it was up there because I think I talked about it with on another show where maybe it was this one. I don't know. They all run together sometimes. But I don't know about you, Craig. I kind of feel like you can make the case he goes to the top of that board. Like, if he's the, well, if he's well, the it's, it's him and Ben Roethlisberger. Those are the two. Well, that's what I figure. So you got him and Big Ben. So who would you put as the chalk? If I had to put the favorite, I would have Cam Newton and Roethlisberger tied. I would have them both at about four or five to one. Okay. That makes, I think that makes sense. And then if I'm building it out, I mean, amongst the names that you gave me, I'd have to think of. So I, I, you know what? I think looking at this, um, when we gave you some good names, I didn't do this with you. It was it with Joe Ranieri. I know all the Joes go together. We're all the same. There was JJ Watt was on here. I remember looking at it and going, there were some bizarre names that you wouldn't expect to be. No, it was with me. Now that you said JJ Watt, I remember. Yes, it was. Yeah. There were, there were names on there that I didn't even really consider having a comeback, but AJ Green would be third. I would put him third because a good year from him. Um, you know, puts him in that conversation. Um, Stafford was on the old odds, so I do remember that. But I, I, you know, I mean, he did play ten games, didn't he? Like he played enough. He I did, think. but I like I'm trying to come up with guys that are at least in no, the conversation. No, it's fair right? to come up with it. Yeah, somebody um, had to come up with stuff today. You know, and and uh, you know, you just keep throwing Todd Gurley on these lists of things. <laughs> I know. I want to throw Todd Gurley and Philip Rivers on every list. It just upset you. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, any bust list you have, then you should put him on. But but beyond that, that's it. Uh, Todd Gurley's not going to finish as as an RB2 this year. You don't think he's going to finish as a high-end RB2? He did last year, and he was a disappointment. He was 14 overall. In PPR. Yeah, because there's no running backs. That's why. He's going to catch the ball a lot more. There's a lot of running backs this year. This is going to be great. This is going to make us going to even play the whole season. I don't understand. He's had an arthritic knee since college. Like, why is this like a newsflash now? Everyone's worried about it. All right, we'll find out. But like, I I thought it was interesting to discuss because in all the Cam Newton conversations I've heard on every sports talk radio, you know, slash TV, whatever, I haven't heard anybody talk about him being comeback player of the year, potentially. So I figured- no, Cam Newton. That's oh, why Cam I was, Newton. That's what started this in the whole point. Whereas I was well, like, you had to wait to see where his landing spot was going to be, Joe. I mean, no, Fandle's not. Like, gonna, I mean, with respect to Fandle, right. they they can't put any odds at him at all because what if he retires? It's just a bad bet. But I just can't believe even in the the amount of coverage you talk about the amount of coverage Cam Newton's been getting 
that I haven't heard anybody discuss that really of what are the odds about Cam Newton? Shouldn't he be considered as maybe comeback player of the year material? Because I think he goes right to the top of the board like you. I think I, I think so. I mean, Big Ben is right there though too because he missed the whole year. I, I you know to me this isn't More a this Cam, award basically. is the award is more is not even as I mean I know it's going to sound crazy. But it's not even as much about performance as it is about give me the scenario that's, that we're painting for the guy. You know, like that to me is it. Like, I don't look at Stafford as a comeback of the year candidate like I do the others. Because even if he has a really good year, I feel like he played enough last year that he shouldn't even really qualify for this. And the same thing with Gurley. Like, he played the whole year. He just wasn't right. good. Yeah, I mean, A.J. Green, I think, is the fair one as the third. Yeah, I mean, that guy missed the whole year. So, yeah, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. You know, and A.J. Green is another one, too, with that injury where— I think we need to start understanding when a guy's in a boot that we have to take that more seriously because I don't remember an injury quite as mysterious as A.J. Green's. Yeah, but you knew what was up there. I understand. I understand it was a contract thing too, but I don't ever, you know, we live in a universe right now of fantasy sports where a guy sneezes, we know about it, right? And there was, I would check every day. Before all these drafts, I was checking every day, what's the latest AJ Green? I'd be looking in Cincinnati newspapers, trying to find some kind of information. Nothing. There was nothing on AJ Green, no matter where you look. AJ Green was just zero, just no news. And right. I said, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen. And it wasn't one week or two weeks. It was like a month and change where there was no update on AJ yeah. Green. And I thought it was very peculiar. Nonetheless. Nah, it got to the point where, look, I, I ended up picking him up and dropping him a few different times in leagues, but it got to the point where, you know, AJ Green's looking at, okay, we're two and six. I'll give it a shot. You know, they're 0 and 10. It's like, come on. Like, it's just, it got, it got just so far out of control that there was just no reason for him to play. Well, uh, another name that by that number one pick too. Let's, you know, yeah. let's call it what it an- is. Another name that should be on here, but has no shot to win is David Johnson. I mean, he should be on here. So no, I think he should have odds. I think he definitely should, he should have, have odds. odds. If you want to burn money and then you go <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, fair enough, man. How in the world is this guy going in the second or third round of a fantasy? I think the better question is, that well, is... that that I understand. I understand the stupid there. Like, I get that. But I, I I think more along the lines of how in the world did he get traded for DeAndre Hopkins? Like, that's, that's I think, the question we have to ask ourselves. Because that, that's what makes me worried about Hopkins. No, that I think that's just sheer Bill O'Brien stupidity. Like, that know. is we'll see. That's where we're at. I mean— yeah, I mean you're you're the watch the games guy, and when I watch DeAndre Hopkins play, man, he's playing in a different universe than everybody else, man. I do, but you don't. But but it, but but Bill O'Brien. He does things no one else me. does. You know, like he I does. don't know, like that trade was made for a reason. I feel like in the end, there's something else there. I don't know. I like I feel like I feel like that trade. I feel like it's gonna get validated somehow. I All right, so is this like a kind of thing like OBJ too, where like, you know they trade him and everyone's going? I wouldn't going, go that thing? far, but there's All something right. up, man. It, it like I things like that just don't happen at like stupid. Now look, in then the why end, did every it, other it may executive end up being, laugh? Why did every it, other executive laugh about it then? Like there were there were executives on Twitter in NFL organizations making pot shots and jokes I didn't about see that. that. Oh yeah! Oh, it was out there. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. We talked well, about look, it on Black Book Show. And and it may be true, and it may end up working, but I don't know. It just it feels like the trade looked so bad that there's something that that we don't know to it. But again, you know, maybe not. Um, look, is Odell a guy? You can't, that can't argue up until the point he was traded. He's a top three receiver in the NFL. There's no argument there. Is Odell but, Beckham a guy to put in the odds for a comeback player of the year? Oh, uh, maybe. I think he was in it last year, though. I don't know. Like, maybe <laughs> well, Baker Mayfield. That's not a bad one. Baker Mayfield. What about Kareem Hunt? Maybe just the Browns. Can mm-hmm. the, the Browns be comeback players of the year? <laughs> Look, Antonio Brown would be a candidate, too, but no one would vote for him no matter what happens. So. You want to talk about lighting money on fire? I don't think that's, I don't think that's what we want to do that's there. Went away quick, huh? Uh yeah, signing yeah. with the Bucks, not signing with the Bucks within twelve hours, something like that. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I still say if he goes anywhere, Seattle makes the most amount of sense too. You know, just because Pete Carroll is that kind of dude. <laughs> you love making XFL jokes, and I know why. Because like I understand there's a difference between you know watching it casually and enjoying it, and then being told to watch it so you can cover and report on it. I can imagine that was more in the frustrating realm of things. So I, I understand your disdain, but XFL wasn't so bad if you were a casual person watching it. I, I was casual and I, I did not hate the XFL like you did, but I understand why you did. 
I mean, the, the Housewives of Beverly Hills is also not so bad if you're just casually watching it. But then when you actually have to and you're sitting there with your wife and she's going, this is what we're watching, that's when you freak out. When's the House Husband show, by the way? Like, when does that come on? Yeah, you know, it's not a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, where are these kept men where, you know, they just sit around and talk about fantasy football drafts and things like that, and then they go get pedicures and things like, you know, like... But, but see, the, the they know that the women watch the women. Would the women watch the men? Oh, I think the women will watch the men. I think that would be hilarious. I mean, wouldn't they watch him just to make fun of him? Like, they all get, like, you know, they get facials and things, and they, you know, they go drink IPAs and things like that instead okay. of wines. You know, I mean, maybe this is a show for us. Maybe we should go do this. I mean, I can't be on the house husbands, but, you know, the, you know, some of the housewives are divorced, aren't they, on those shows? I can't yeah, imagine they're no, on that's there. true. That's so, true. You, could, you uh, could go on The Bachelor, though. Uh, yes, that's every woman's dream is to see this face. On The Bachelor, uh, giving out roses, that's for sure. Because, of course, that's where you find love is definitely on that show. That's Will you, will you accept this black book? <laughs> I'm serious, though. Like, why isn't there a house husbands? We, we need to make this happen. We can get a bunch of really fun people on there. I mean, I, I would watch. I would watch if it was like, you know, some fun ex-NFL people who are now just kept husbands or whatever. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, I mean, my <laughs> wife watches every single one of those terrible shows. It's just embarrassing. Like, every <laughs> one of them. Uh, that's one of the good things about, you know, not being married is you don't have to watch that or Property Brothers anymore. You don't have to watch anything about. I mean, I got a list of them. Like, you should see the DVR. It's like. Oh, I'm sure it's. Vanderpump it's all... Rules and, you know. What is that? Every Housewife about? City. Every Housewife City. Horrible. Horrible stuff. I, don't even, I mean, all I know is that Jeff, every. Something about a ship on deck or something. I don't even know what it is. It's some reality show where they're on a boat and, and there's yeah, like there's... controversy over the food. And it's like, oh, <laughs> they're what? on a boat. I don't know it's what's going on. Uh, all I know is that there's, the, what always shocks me about those house hunting shows is the way it's always the same setup. It's like, you know, he works. Yeah. Well, well, but it's always like he works part time at PetSmart and, you know, she's a kindergarten teacher and they're looking for a $1.8 million house in the Hamptons. And I don't understand how this happens. Like, I'm wondering why this is the case and how this is going to be a thing. I don't get that. That that kind of bothers me. And then everything is open concept. I want to see somebody go in there and go, no, I want to close off every room in the house with four walls and a door. I don't want to be able to see anybody, talk to anybody, close concept just once on one of those shows. Can somebody please have it? Everything's right. open concept. In the Mish house, it. is it an That's open concept we'll or no? You have an open it works. concept? It works for me. You have it in the house? It's a big open concept and you can see everybody all the time? No, we don't have that here. <laughs> well, stay tuned. It's only a matter of time. Maybe, we'll maybe next week. The week after. <laughs> Just knock out a wall. All right, uh, we got to go to uh, the break here because this is the end of our first hour of the show. But we have a lot more coming up next. Uh, top of the hour, which is less than five minutes from now. So why would you switch and watch anything else? You should stay tuned because Joe is going to be joined by Marcus Grant from NFL.com and the NFL Network. They're going to hit on Cam Newton, Kareem Hunt and a lot of potential fantasy implications for the 2020 upcoming season. So stay tuned. we got more Sports Grid coming up next right here on Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 